Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Operator with CNW, and I'll be your conference operator today. Bonjour, je m'appelle Vero, opératrice CNW, et je serai votre opératrice pour la conférence aujourd'hui. I will now introduce Mr. Jean-Marc Ayas, Manager, Investor Relations at Alimentation Couchetard. Je vais maintenant donner la parole à Mr. Jean-Marc Ayas, gestionnaire, relations investisseurs d'Alimentation Couchetard. Merci, Véro. Euh, bonjour, j'aimerais d'abord vous souhaiter la bienvenue à la téléconférence qui porte sur la diffusion des résultats financiers du deuxième trimestre de l'exercice 2021 d'alimentation Couchetard. Toutes les lignes seront placées en mode discrétion afin d'éviter tout bruit inutile. À la suite de la présentation, nous répondrons aux questions qui nous ont été soumises à l'avance par les analystes. Nous souhaitons vous rappeler que cette web émission sera disponible sur notre site Web pour une période de 90 jours. Également, prenez note que certains des sujets discutés au cours de cette web émission pourraient consister en des déclarations prospectives qui sont fournies par la société avec les avertissements habituels. Ces avertissements ou risques ainsi que ces incertitudes sont décrits dans nos rapports financiers. Il est donc possible que nos résultats futurs puissent différer des informations discutées aujourd'hui. Les résultats financiers seront présentés par M. Brian Hanisch, président et chef de la direction, et M. Claude Tessier, chef de la direction financière. Good morning. I would like to welcome everyone to this web conference presenting Alimentation Couchetard's financial results for its second quarter of fiscal 2021. All lines will be kept on mute to prevent any background noise. After the presentation, we will answer questions that were forwarded to us beforehand by analysts. We would like to remind everyone that this webcast presentation will be available on our website for a 90-day period. Also, please remember that some of the issues discussed during this webcast might be forward-looking statements which are provided by the corporation with its usual caveats. These caveats or risks and uncertainties are outlined in our financial reporting. Therefore, our future results could differ from the information discussed today. Our financial results will be presented by Mr. Brian Hanisch, President and Chief Executive Officer, and Mr. Claude Tessier, Chief Financial Officer. Brian, you may begin your conference. Thank you, Jean-Marc. Uh, good morning, everyone. For those of you south of the border, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, thanks for joining us for our presentation of our second quarter 2021 results. You know, across our network, we really had a strong performance during the, in the quarter, both in our stores and in our forecourts, even with the continuing impact of COVID-19. New customers and associated share gains since the start of the pandemic have continued as customers are taking advantage of the convenience and proximity of our, of our channel. This led to solid same-store sales in all of our regions. While fuel volumes remain negative across the network, you know, we did see some sequential improvement in our three geographies, particularly in Europe, with favorable weather, more consumer travel during the quarter, and a more stable B2B business. Overall, we continue to achieve healthy fuel margins, which have allowed us to offset the volume declines and grow our fuel gross profit dollars. Earlier this month, we announced that we've entered into an agreement to acquire the convenience store business, Circle K Hong Kong which operates a network of 340 convenience stores across Hong Kong and franchises an additional 33 stores in Macau. 
Since 1985, Circle K Hong Kong has been a licensee of, of the Circle K brand, and we've followed closely the progress for almost two decades. Upon the closing of this transaction, which is expected by the end of this calendar year, Circle K Hong Kong, its management team and employees will officially become part of Kushtar's family and our journey. We're excited about this transaction as it provides us with a strategic platform in Asia from which to launch a regional growth ambition. We will undoubtedly benefit greatly from Circle K Hong Kong's experienced team to understand the many opportunities in the region and to navigate the tremendous potential in some of the world's largest and fastest growing economies. We're also looking forward to sharing best practices as the Circle K Hong Kong team has developed solid expertise in operating small footprints, convenience-only stores in dense urban areas, as well as advanced merchandising, loyalty, and supply chain capabilities. Before I move on, I want to add that I'm truly pleased by the strides we've made this quarter on our strategic goals. From entering the Asia-Pacific market to hitting milestones in our Fresh Food Fast program, even as we continue to cope with the increasing severity of the pandemic. Our teams in the stores and support offices remain focused on growing the business and making our customers' lives a little bit easier every day. And I'm continually inspired by their commitment to each other, our customers, and our shareholders. I'm now going to turn to the results of the second quarter. In same-store merchandise revenues increased 4.4% in the U.S., 8.6% in Europe, and 11.4% in Canada compared to the same quarter last year. This increase is primarily attributable to growth in basket, which more than offset continued softness in traffic due to the pandemic restrictions across the network. The alternative nicotine, packaged beverage, alcohol, and grocery categories continue to perform well across the business, while in Europe, our fresh food category saw, did see a slight increase year over year. We've also worked hard to drive more traffic into our locations through increased awareness of our loyalty programs gamification, and by ensuring that we remain focused on our core value propositions. We continue to be very pleased with the developments in the North American Food Program, which is the biggest project ever undertaken by Kushtar. In the United States, we met our target of introducing 1,500 fresh food fast locations by this fall, and now have the offer in 11 of our U.S. business units. Our focus remains on the quality and ease of our fresh food offer, both for our store team and our consumers. Stores with Fresh Food Fast have been performing very well relative to test stores or control stores in the same markets, and we're also tailoring their offer to meet the tastes and preferences of our local communities. Based on these results to date, we plan to roll out the program to an additional 3,000 locations by the end of next fiscal year. In Europe, our food program saw increased demand this quarter, despite uh, COVID. During this time, we kicked off a pilot for self-serve hot and cold food in several of our locations in Denmark. This is targeting at a more grab-and-go self-serve offer with a goal to provide a quicker and easier experience while allowing us to optimize store labor. In Norway this quarter, we launched a new pizza offer within collaboration with the country's biggest pizza chain. We sold 120,000 pizzas in the first six weeks following the program introduction. Interestingly, this initiative has provided a big boost to our Circle K app and to our click-and-collect ordering option as pizza is a very popular offer. With changes in driving habits and softer traffic patterns, especially during the morning commute, the dispensed beverage categories continue to be challenged during the second quarter, but our volumes outpace the market thanks to some innovative product extensions. We've introduced fall flavors for our coffee assortment, as well as enhanced water and energy on our Polar Pop offer. Our first Froster program in Europe is now available in more than 400 sites and continues to sit, show very strong sales. 
Since the onset of COVID-19, we've seen consistent market share increases in packaged beverage as customers continue to favor larger sizes and quantities while also trading up to more premium products within the category. Alcohol remains a bright spot, and we continue to see robust growth as, as growing COVID-19 cases further impact on-premise restaurant and bar sales. In addition to beer, emerging segments like seltzers are showing very strong demand. In other age-restricted products, nicotine sales continue to show strong performance versus prior year, particularly in Europe. Other tobacco products showed solid sales growth due to expanded selection of modern white and vapor products in line with changing consumer trends. In the U.S., our back bar program, which is really expanding our, our back bar and allowing us to have additional assortment, uh, we've been able to expand our selection of modern white products and position Circle K as a leader in the white nicotine and vapor segments. I'm also excited that we're advancing our journey to become a more localized retailer with a very data-centric merchandising pricing effort. We've ramped up our in-house analytics capability, which have enabled us to begin the rollout of this initiative to nine additional business units, touching all three of our platforms after having successfully rolled it out in Sweden and in our Grand Canyon business unit. We think this is a really important step to build out an enterprise-wide capability, and we plan to further expand the program into our remaining business units by the end of fiscal 22, and in parallel, we're going to begin to tackle data-driven assortments and promotions. Moving to the fuel business, uh, same-store volume growth this quarter remained negative due to the COVID-19 impact on miles driven. However, we did see some improvement in demand as portions of our network returned to more normal operations during the quarter, uh, particularly in Europe. But we do remain cautious given the recent rise in COVID-19 cases globally and the return of stricter social distancing measures. For this quarter, same-store fuel volume decreased 15.5% in the U.S., 4.5% in Europe, and 11.8% in Canada compared to last year. Despite these declines, we have continued to realize healthy fuel margins across the network, benefiting from rational market dynamics in many areas, as well as great execution uh, at retail. During this quarter, we converted more locations to our Circle K fuel brand, bringing the total to nearly 2,600 sites in North America, and we're also piloting in more than 500 sites across various geographies to build the Circle K fuel brand awareness and claim the premium fuel customer. And uh, you know, again, the pilots are still early, but we're pleased with the initial results. Additionally, we've furthered our fuel procurement and transportation capabilities, adding more trucks to our fleet and launching a trading operation in Houston, which we expect will lead to improvements in the value chain and our margins over time. We also continue with the fast pace in our mobility network. In, in Norway, we launched additional products this year tailored to our B2B customers. The most notable, noticeable, notable excuse me, feature is a combined fuel and charge card, which consolidates all purchases from fuel, merchandise, car wash, and electric onto a single bill for the businesses. Circle K is a first mover in this product, and we believe it will give us a competitive advantage in being a partner for B2B customers using both liquid fuels and electric charging. We've now also hit a milestone in home charging in Norway, selling more chargers in the last quarter than for all the quarters combined since we launched the program. We take this as a clear sign that we can grow our position in customers' homes and where they work and are looking to build on that momentum. In North America, we're continuing our preparations to place more chargers in our Circle K sites and core EV markets in the near term in Quebec and California will be our likely starting points. I also want to briefly mention our continued efforts to expand our network through new store builds. 
While this work has been slowed a bit during COVID-19, we have restarted and continue to invest heavily in this organic growth lever. We've had a solid return on these investments, and we are looking to accelerate openings in the back half of the fiscal year. Shifting to innovation, our work in innovation is progressing. Uh, we're seeing some things come to life in our sites. Uh, we're progressing on both the forecourt and inside the stores. In Norway, uh, we've expanded our license plate recognition payment system at the forecourt to more locations and planning a launch in Sweden. And across the network, we continue exploring gaining insights into what the consumer wants in terms of curbside pickup and home delivery options. And we're evaluating these models for further deployment. This quarter, we expanded our home delivery capacity with DoorDash and Uber Eats and continue our delivery work with Favor in Texas. We now have approximately 1,200 sites offering home delivery, and we've tripled the number of transactions since the beginning of the pandemic. We're moving from pilot phase of a limited number of stores in a region to testing entire markets, particularly in our northern tier Florida and Texas business units. Our partnership with these third-party providers is bringing new and different customers to the brand, and we're seeing that our locations are gaining traction as a late-night destination for the home delivery customer. We're committed to taking the friction out of the shopping experience and providing an offer to our customers anywhere and any time that's most convenient for them. With that, I'm going to pause there and let Claude take you through more of the second quarter financial results. Claude? Thank you, Brian. Ladies and gentlemen, good morning. For the second quarter of 2021, we are happy to report net earnings uh, attributable to shareholders of the corporation of $757 million, or $0.68 per share on a diluted basis. Excluding certain items for both comparable periods, adjusted net earnings for the second quarter of fiscal 2021 were approximately $735 million, or $0.66 per share on a diluted basis, compared with $0.50 per share for the prior year, which represents an increase of 32%. Net earnings, uh, net earnings were $1.5 billion for the first half of fiscal 2021, compared with $1.1 billion for the first half of fiscal 2020, an increase of 37.3%. Diluted net earnings for, per share stood at $1.38, compared with $0.99 cents the previous year. Excluding certain items from net earnings for both comparable periods, Net earnings were approximately $1.5 billion compared with $1.1 billion for the previous year, which represents an increase of $413 million, or 37%. Adjusted diluted net earnings per share were $1.37 for the first half of fiscal 2021, compared with $0.99 for the first half of fiscal 2020, an increase of 38.4%. Our business continues to show a lot of flexibility and resilience despite the disruption on shopping and commuting behaviors caused by the pandemic. Once again, we executed well during the second quarter on our cost optimization initiatives, including solid labor efficiencies, savings on good not for resale, and strong control on discretionary expenses. This has allowed us to stay the course when it comes to investing in the health and safety of our employees and customers, as we strive to remain relevant in their time of need and and good steward of their trust. I will now go over some key figures for the quarter. For more details, please refer to the MD&E available on our website. During this uh, most recent quarter, excluding CAPL's revenue and net impact from foreign currency translation, merchandise and service revenues for the second quarter of fiscal 2021 
increased by approximately $208 million, or 5.9%. This increase is primarily attributable to the growth in basket size, which more than offset uh, uh, continued softness in traffic. The tobacco, packaged beverages, alcohol, and grocery categories uh, continue to perform well across all our regions. For the first half of fiscal 2021, on the same basis, merchandise and service revenues increased by approximately $512 million, or 7.2%. For the second quarter of, of uh, 2021, on the same basis, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately $72 million, of five, or 5.9%, mainly attributable to the strong organic growth despite lower traffic in our network due to COVID-19. Our gross margin increased by 0.1% in the United States to 34%, while it decreased by 1.1% in Europe to 40.2% uh, due to a shift in our product mix towards lower margin categories, with tobacco a particularly strong contributor to that end. In Canada, the gross margin remained steady at 32.6%. During the first half of 2021, on the same basis, merchandise and service gross profit increased by approximately $181 million, or 7.4%. The gross margin increased by 0.4% to 34.4% in the United States, while it decreased by 1% in Europe to 40.4%, and by 0.6% in Canada to 32.1%. We now move on to the fuel side of the business. In the second quarter of fiscal 2021, our road transportation fuel gross margin was 37.48 cents per gallon in the US, an increase of more than nine cents per gallon. In Europe, the road transportation fuel gross margin was 11.1 US cents per liter, an increase of almost three US cents per liter. And in Canada, it was 10.05 Canadian cents per liter, an increase of more than two Canadian cents per liter. Growth in road transportation uh, fuel gross margin across our three geographies was driven by changes in the competitive landscape and improved supply conditions. The road transportation fuel gross margin for the first half of fiscal 2021 was 40.14 cents per gallon in the US, 10.82 cents per liter in Europe, and 10.16 Canadian cents per liter in Canada. For the second quarter of fiscal 2021, Normalized operating expenses decreased by 0.8%. We achieved this decrease while maintaining investments in our stores to support our strategic initiatives, even as we continue to see higher labor costs from minimum, minimum wage uh, increases in certain regions, normal inflation, and COVID-19-related expenses. This decrease, this decrease was a result of cost and labor efficiencies as well as rigorous work and activities initiated to streamline and minimize our controllable expenses. Excluding specific items described in more details in our MDNA, the adjusted EBITDA for the second quarter of fiscal 2021 increased by $223.5 million, or 20.9% compared with the prior year, mainly from higher road transportation fuel gross margins, organic growth on merchandise and service sales, as well as uh, from the net positive impact from foreign current currency translation, representing approximately $11 million, partly offset by the negative impact of COVID-19 on our traffic. 
During the first half of 2021, on the same basis, the adjusted EBITDA increased by $543.9 million, or 25.8% year-over-year, mainly attributable to the similar factor as those of the second quarter. The variation in exchange rate had a net negative impact of approximately $1 million. Excluding specific items described in more details in our NDNA, the adjusted income tax rate for the second quarter of fiscal 2021 was 20.4% compared with 19.5% for the second quarter of fiscal 2020. The adjusted income tax rate for the first half of fiscal 2021 was 20.5% compared with 19.6% for the first half of fiscal 2020. The increase for both the second quarter and the first half of fiscal 2021 is mainly stemming from the impact of different mix in our earnings across the various jurisdictions in which we operate. As at the October 11, 2020, our return on equity remains strong at 25.7%, and our return on capital employed stood at 17.3%. During the quarter, we continued to generate significant free cash flows and saw our leverage ratio decline further to 1.13 to 1. As of October 11, 2020, we had ample balance sheet flexibility with $3.5 billion in cash and an additional $2.5 billion available through our revolver credit facility. Finally, on November 24, 2020, we announced the renewal of our share repurchase program for up to 30.3 million Class B shares, or 4% of the public float beginning on November 27, 2020. As well, the Board of Directors declared a quarterly dividend of 8.75 Canadian cents per share, an increase of 25%, and approved its payment for December 17, 2020. This represents our second dividend increase of 2020 after raising the dividend by 12% on March 17. While our business continued to deliver strong financial results and record free cash flows through the pandemic, we're not letting down our guard and realize that we are living through a fragile situation that can change rapidly. Consequently, we are maintaining our disciplined approach to managing costs and deploying capital to ensure that we, are, we come out of this crisis stronger for our employees and customers. Our balance sheet, with $6 billion of cash on end and available under our credit facility, remains well-positioned to support our global growth ambition and to drive value creation for our employees, customers, and shareholders. With that, I thank you all for your attention, and I turn it back to Brian. All right, thank you, Claude. Um, you know, we finally have gotten some good news this past two weeks. Uh, there is a, a light at the end of the tunnel with uh, some successful vaccines. So I think, as Claude said, your approach of taking a long-term view and staying focused on our strategies has served us well. Um, no doubt, though, in the meantime, COVID-19 is persisting. In many areas, we're seeing a renewed wave of the pandemic. Our thoughts certainly go out to those who are suffering from the virus or taking care of loved ones. Over the last quarter, I'm proud of how our teams have successfully navigated the business with a long-term mindset, as I said, you know, keeping our customers and employee safety in the forefront of their decision-making. As Claude said, we remain prudent with our capital and investments while staying committed to our double-again strategy. We're excited to acquire Circle K Hong Kong and begin our growth journey in the Asian markets, and we're cautiously optimistic about hitting organic sales growth targets for the year. 
As Claude noted, we've got a very healthy balance sheet putting us in a strong position for future opportunities as they may arise. And most of all, our culture has shown itself to be resilient during the crisis. And we've been able to provide an even better, stronger foundation for our vision to become the world's preferred destination for convenience of fuel. With that, we'll now answer questions we've received from analysts. Thank you, Brian. So the first question comes from Irene Natel at RBC Capital Markets. Can you give us some color around the impact of fresh food fast in the stores in which you have rolled it out? What kind of customer behavior are you seeing in those stores? What is the magnitude of any lift in basket and traffic? And lastly, what type of customization are you doing? How should we be thinking about the impact on same-store sales? Yeah, thanks, Irene. Uh, you know, obviously, the pandemic has thrown a lot of noise into this. Um, so, you know, some of the, uh, the data we are looking at to make our decisions uh, are pre, pre-COVID, uh, where we had some significant number of pilot sites out, and then also, you know, pleased with the results during COVID as these sales continue to uh, outperform control sites. And the impact, uh, you know, will be important uh, not only in our top line, but our gross margin as we scale this. We typically see margins in the 30 to 60% for these types of products that we're introducing. Uh, our initial results, again, despite the pandemic, have been very promising when we compare stores with and without in the same markets. And our business units uh, reach a more important scale in the rollout. We've t- we'll be able to turn on some meaningful marketing initiatives. We've done no promotion. We've done no sampling. Uh, to support or grow these programs, obviously because of COVID. Um, you know, we're continuing to work on refining the business. Uh, it's, a, it's a culture shift in our stores, and we want to make sure that uh, our teams are well-supported and have their very best chance of success. So uh, we're working on uh, improving the kinks, uh, working on supply chain. Uh, we've had some disruptions uh, through COVID with uh, some of our providers. Um, so, again, as we work those out, despite all that, uh, we are com- comfortable that uh, – we're seeing a solid business, and I, I guess the biggest testament to, uh, to our belief in this and confidence as we uh, emerge from COVID uh, second quarter, third quarter of next year is that you know, we're committing to roll out an additional 3,000 stores uh, in fiscal 2022. And, you know, in post-COVID, we'll certainly be able to give you, you know, a cleaner look at the, the true impact on profitability and top line, both in that category and then the halo effect we're seeing on the rest of the store. The next question comes from Martin Landry at Stifel GMP. Could you discuss the findings of your click and collect pilots? Has this proven to be a viable business model? What would be the hurdle to prevent you from offering it to all your locations and how long would it take to roll out? Yeah, I guess just starting, I'd say you know, our, our vision, our mission is to make our customers' lives easier. You know, we're, you know, we focus on the solutions that help them on this journey, you know, getting the right products to the right place where they want it and when they want it. Um, you know, the pandemic has certainly had a change in customer shopping behavior. I think there's a big question out there as to what persists post-COVID and what doesn't. Um, you know, we know there will be a, a continued desire for touchless payment. You know, we're investing in those areas, testing customer adoption. Um, we're also looking at other ways to service the customer and remove friction inside the store. Um, and at the forecourt, as we talked about, you know, click and collect is still in a pilot mode in our Grand Canyon business unit. Um, home delivery, we've scaled and moved into larger market tests uh, with different partners, as I said in the, in the remarks, favor in Europe, or favor in Texas, excuse me, Uber Eats and DoorDash in Florida and our northern tier business units and currently have about 1,200 sites on it. We're seeing a good basket, you know, a differentiated customer, usually a bit younger, uh, certainly a different day part for us as it's, it's generally uh, at night. 
Um, and, and transactions are growing, but I would say today it's still not a meaningful piece of the business. I think what we really need to watch is, you know, is this uh, sticky consumer behavior or not, um, and, and, and react accordingly. But uh, the good news is, is we've got the capability and technologies in place to do this and to scale it very quickly if it works. Um, you know, I think in some later questions we'll talk about uh, eliminating friction at the, at the forecourt and uh, inside the box as well. But uh, we just view this as one of the bets along that journey, and uh, we, we want to be prepared if that consumer demand for this type of, of service uh, continues to grow. The next question comes from Derek DeLay at Canaccord Genuity. Your balance sheet continues to deleverage meaningfully. What are your capital allocation priorities, and what is your comfort level in terms of leverage ratio? <clears throat> Thank you, Derek, for the question. We're, we're very happy with our progress. A strong execution by our teams uh, on driving the top line and gross profit dollars, as well as controlling the cost. So this is allowing us to drive record cash flows and then repay debt when required. So from a capital allocation perspective, we, we want to keep reinvesting in the growth and maintenance of our business. And frankly, our, our priority number one is the allocation of capital towards our strategic priorities. Uh, and in, in organic initiatives also, such as M&A, are, are really the priority. Secondly, we want to grow, continue to grow our dividend at a steady pace at each year. Uh, and uh, we also uh, we increased it uh, 25% this quarter after uh, raising it by 12% earlier this uh, this March. So finally, uh, using our share repurchase as an extra tool in our tool belt to return cash uh, to shareholders. So we've been uh, we we have been approved for a 4% buyback and and look to buy back share on an opportunistic basis uh, when we feel it will be beneficial to our shareholders. So and I, so uh, I will remind you also that our comfort level uh, remains around 2.25 times leverage, uh, with the possibility of extending that by one to 1.5 turn of debt to execute to execute an acquisition, depending on the outcome of our discussion with credit agencies or lender. But uh, as we are sitting today at the 1.13 time, this leaves us a great deal of flexibility for future acquisition, acquisition and we feel we have a pretty strong balance sheet right now. The next question comes from Graham Kreindler at 8 Capital. Can you please discuss recent trends surrounding customer loyalty as consumer baskets continue to consolidate? Has there been increased stickiness from customers in merchandise revenue given sustained same-store sales growth? How sustainable do you think this trend will be in the future, particularly as you continue to optimize merchandise mix within the store and roll out new offerings like Fresh Food Fast? I think what we'll see, you know, some of the behavior that we're experiencing today, you know, because we're a quick, easy in and out, will stick, and then uh, other parts of it won't um, as customers revert back to more normal behavior. But, uh, you know, we're certainly not sitting here and, and looking for one silver bullet when it comes to increasing customer stickiness or loyalty. Um, you know, we're we're working on improving, you know, the whole customer journey inside of our stores, you know, from the basics of keeping our stores, you know, clean, safe, and well-stocked, uh, staying sharp on our pricing. You know, we think there's a huge opportunity out there to truly get localized pricing and assortment right, um, working hard on staff training and being, some, you know, very innovative at how we're attracting new employees and training them. You know, our food program, you know, we know that's going to create stickiness. Uh, we know there's demand there. 
and we think long-term that will drive repeated trips and loyalty. And then on the innovation side, you know, we're continuing to look at how can we play a role with changing, you know, how our customer pays, checks out, and, uh, you know, just the overall experience at our store and at, at, at our forecourt. So, you know, it's a, it's a multi-pronged effort uh, to, to retain these customers and attract new ones. The next question comes from Robbie Griffin at Raymond James. Com Company-operated site count has declined year over year for a few consecutive quarters, with closures outpacing the number of organic openings. Is that a result of COVID-19 delaying new store projects? Should we expect company-operated sites to begin growing again in calendar year 2021? Yeah, within our five-year plan to double the business, you know, we have a target to grow our new-to-industry store count from approximately 100 uh, where we're at today to uh, over 200 by the end of fiscal 2023. I'd say we're nicely on track. Um, we paused a bit during the pandemic until we were more secure on, on the condition of our balance sheet in the industry, uh, but we fully resumed uh, construction. Uh, fiscal 21, you know, has been challenging, uh, you know, but to, again, we, we think uh, we've got the team to execute that and we've got a very good pipeline. In terms of store count change, you know, we, we had a significant impact from uh, the transactions we did with Cross America, um, but you can, you'll see more of that. You know, we're going to continue to harvest uh, our weaker uh, sites in the network and we'll continue to build big, strong new sites that we think can win in the marketplace over decades. Um, and we'll be more active than that, at that than we probably have been in past years. So not focused on total store count, just a message that, you know, the ones we're adding, you know, they're doing 3, 4x the business of the ones that we would be taking out. The second question from Bobby Griffin, can you provide additional details on how fuel <laughs> volumes trended throughout the quarter, and how are these volumes performing in the third quarter to date? Yeah, just going back to my comments, it's great news the vaccine's on the way, so there is a, an end to this, and we fully expect that uh, you know, fuel volumes will return to much more normal levels uh, after the next six to nine months. But we do face six to nine months of restrictions, potential lockdowns, and we've seen some happening in parts of Canada, the U.S., and Europe. So while the lockdowns are temporary, uh, they will impact uh, fuel demand as people stay at home and less, you know, fewer kilometers are driven. Um, that said, you know, trends were improving through the quarter uh, in all three regions, but uh, restrictions started to impact particularly the Toronto market as we exited the quarter. Uh, U.S. has held pretty stable, and Europe had had a, a slight improvement. We've been very pleased with the, uh, the B2B business uh, in Europe holding up very, very well. Um, but, uh, you know, again, with the lockdowns, we do expect uh, Canada and Europe to get a bit worse in the coming quarter as restrictions are put back in place. So good trends during the quarter, but we remain cautious. The next question comes from Patricia Baker at Scotiabank. The second quarter saw a nice recovery in the merchandise margin in Canada. Can you address the specific dynamics there and what led you to post a steady rate year over year? Well, the benefit in Canada really came from mix, uh, mainly in the service side. Your lottery uh, has been strong globally. Uh, people, you know, a lot of casinos and things are closed and uh, lotteries really perform very well globally. Um, you know, tobacco grew over year, but it was a smaller portion of uh, total merchandise sales as other categories grew faster. Uh, packaged beverage in particular, and then grocery uh, were two areas that are you know, higher margin and uh, really have shown strong growth. So that's bolstered overall uh, margin in, in Canada. The second question from Patricia Baker, 
You note in the MDNA that you opened 13 new stores, 38 since the beginning of the fiscal year, and have a further 52 sites in the construction pipeline. Can you discuss the new store program and specifically what unique features they might have? How do store openings in calendar years 2020 and 2021 differ from new store cohorts from five years ago? Sure, I touched on this a bit, but uh, you know, starting in March, we really froze all capital. And so we paused construction um, for about 90 days, but uh, we've resumed that. Uh, we've got 52 under construction. You know, we've got roughly another 150 sites in various phases of zoning and permitting in North America and probably 30 or 40 in Europe. Uh, in terms of how the stores are changing, uh, if you've been to a holiday store, uh, we're incorporating uh, some of the, the key attributes of those networks. Um, they're unique in that they've got an in and out door, and they really guide the customer journey through starting with food, uh, getting them very exposed to the packaged beverage, and then ending uh, in the checkout area. Uh, with heavy exposure to impulse. And, you know, we've t piloted that in some existing Circle K sites you know, via retrofit, and uh, it's shown strong growth. So you know, we believe in that format, and uh, you, the new boxes we have coming out of the ground will start to, uh, to show those characteristics. Um, obviously, there's a, a piece where we've got, already got them permitted, so it's uh, really over the coming months we'll start to see that show up. And then we've agreed on a, a, a harmonized image we call Horizon. So they'll have a refreshed new look, new colors that have tested very well uh, with customers both in U.S. and in Europe. Uh, our new Circle K stores in Europe, we've been at that a bit longer. You know, we're seeing uh, higher traffic and uh, higher food penetration at those sites. So it's a, it's a good ROI and it's something we think we can scale uh, when the time is right, you know, pretty cost effectively uh, into our existing network. Then, yeah, I think I'd touch on our urban markets. You know, we've never been a big player in the urban centers, um, but you know, with COVID, you know, there are obviously vacancies uh, accumulating as uh, we've seen other retail not fare as well. And so we think there's a window of opportunity for us to uh, accelerate that expansion uh, into non-fuel sites in the urban centers. So you, you'll see more activity from us in the, in the coming year in some of our big uh, metropolitan areas in North America and Europe. The next question comes from Karen Short at Barclays Capital. Fuel margins in the U.S. exceeded those disclosed by Opus again. Was the geographic mix benefit you saw last quarter again a benefit in the second quarter? If so, can you maybe provide more color on what exactly is driving that benefit? Yeah, this, this quarter really geography didn't play a material factor. It was pretty spread evenly across uh, particularly the U.S. Um, you know, so I wouldn't say, you know, ge geographic mix was, was material. Um, you know, we certainly understand the logic behind the desire to use Opus as a guide, you know, particularly for a company like us with a national footprint. But we do have a lot of initiatives that uh, we're working on that, you know, I think are unique to companies of our size where we're, we're able to leverage resources and scale. You know, as, as I mentioned earlier, you know, we've set up a trading office in Houston. Um, you know, we think there's opportunities with uh, – you know, only one of the longest shorts in the fuel uh, industry in the world uh, that creates unique opportunities for us. You know, we've increased our investment in our fleets uh, of trucks to capture geographic arbitrage opportunities. You know, we're capitalizing on volumes that uh, are coming up for renegotiation and continue to push for improved costs in a, a long, quite honestly, a long value chain that's out there today. Um, so again, we've, we're working on improving our procurement abilities. Uh, we're building optionality into our contracts when possible. 
then on the sell side, you know, we've continued to roll out AI fuel. You know, we paused it for about six months during the pandemic because it was really hard for anybody to understand what good looked like. But uh, we spent that time building uh, new capabilities into that system, and we think it's uh, even stronger and smarter than it was before. And so we've uh, reintroduced uh, you know, our AI pricing initiative back in, at the street, and uh, we think long-term that's going to be very, very strong for us and continue to allow us to outperform much of the industry in terms of fuel margins. And finally, I'd, I'd say our, our Circle K fuel brand. You know, it's 2,600 locations. Uh, we've done approximately, well, in process, another 500 this year. And, uh, you know, there's no doubt that uh, you know, we, we see enhanced margins uh, when we're able to do that. The second question from Karen Short. Uh, you've talked about accelerating the localized pricing strategy. Can you provide some color on what you've learned about the elasticity of the assortment based on pilots in Sweden and in the Grand Canyon? Can you also provide more color on the clustering of stores? And finally, can you talk about the timeline and cadence of the rollout to different business units globally? Yeah, we've been working on this a while, you know, for some significant time before we started to talk about it, you know, just to, to kind of validate, you know, our vision here. But our, our belief is that there's a very large prize to truly execute localized pricing assortment and promotions. I'll talk to the pricing because we're well underway after two successful pilots. You know, we're adopting our, our pricing to the local markets. When I say markets, it's really site level uh, based on, on data-driven clustering. You know, this isn't an exercise you know, aimed at raising prices. It's an exercise at targeting the optimal price, you know, by, by cluster. And, and also maximizing gross profit dollars. So we've seen many SKUs that remain flat. Others have gone up and others have been reduced. Um, and again, that varies by geography and by cluster. So I really can't stereotype a given category or even SKU. Uh, it's an investment in data analytics to better understand, you know, elasticity by SKU by cluster. Uh, and includes just a lot of you know, a lot of variables that uh, you know people that I talk to in our uh, I joke I, we put them in our basement uh, that I quite honestly don't understand, um, but it's exciting. It's an exciting uh, exciting journey that we're on. Um, after two successful uh, pilots, you know we've rolled out to an additional nine business units this quarter um, across all three of our geographies, and we'll be incre increasing the scope not only in terms of the number of SKUs that are in that in that uh, pricing program, but also in parallel launching work on assortment and promotion in the coming quarters. The next question comes from Mark Petrie at CIBC World Markets. Can you please update us on the shift to the Circle K fuel brand? How many sites are converted and what impact do you see to your volumes and customer loyalty when you switch? Can you quantify the margin lift from branded to, to own brand fuel? Or if not, how, how material a factor is this in your relative outperformance versus Opus in fiscal 2021? Yeah, I'd say this is an important journey for us. You know, we've had great relationships and partnerships with the brand. We'll continue to do, you know, a lot of business with the, uh, the Shells and BPs and Exxons of the world. But, uh, you know, this really started from a, a consumer standpoint. You know, we, we did consumer studies, and we showed that when we had a Circle K site at the backcourt and a, a major brand or a brand, a non-Circle K brand at the uh, forecourt, there was confusion. Um, so we think this is an opportunity to absolutely dramatically increase the awareness of the brand, uh, particularly in North America, as we're, we're largely, we are 100% our own brand in, in Europe. But it's also, you know, the ability to control and simplify the consumer experience at our site. 
uh, you know, today you know, we we will own you know that, those technologies at Circle K versus having to share software uh, from the major oil companies. So again, controlling that consumer experience is important as we look to the future and, and our ability to innovate uh, that that journey at the forecourt. You know, today we've got 2,600 sites that are operating under our brand. Uh, mentioned all of Europe is is that way, and then every, anything new that we're building today is on the Circle K brand as well. And as I said earlier, we'll convert an additional roughly 500 sites this year. You know, for that brand, we're working on a strategy to drive loyalty and volume. Uh, much of it around, much of it's around building awareness, but also seeing can we can we resonate with customers with our premium fuel offering. You know, over time, we think there you know there's a clear benefit uh, both in terms of volume and margins as we create a, a simpler experience. Uh, in terms of quantifying that, it really varies dramatically by geography and by the brand we're switching from. So uh, more to come there, but net-net a positive. Uh, it's a good ROI for us, and uh, we'll continue to invest in that direction. The next question comes from Peter Sklar at BMO Capital Markets. Now that you've acquired Circle K Hong Kong, can you talk more specifically about other markets in Asia that you would be interested for Kushtar? For example, do you still have an interest in the Australian market? Would you ever consider an acquisition in China? Just like Europe, uh, Peter, Asia is a large market with many different countries that uh, have their own dynamic. Uh, we mentioned in the past uh, that we find many markets attractive, mostly in Southeast Asia. So the Philippines, Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, could be Thailand also, to name a few. So our focus is to enter a market with favorable demographics, uh, good population growth, GDP growth, uh, increasing earnings power, uh, uh, and uh, an expanding middle class also is very favorable to, to our stores. So as well, a, co a country that already counts uh, on a good sea store infrastructure, as we are not looking to spend years building from the ground up or greenfield uh, our operations in these countries. So we're, we're looking for networks that have a meaningful footprint on their markets, but also a strong growth potential. It, to revert to, to you, the part of your question on China, it, it's a market that we need to learn more about, understand what the regulations are for foreign companies to operate there. And our new family member in Hong Kong is going to be a great help for us to better understand the China and also the rest of the region also. As for Australia, uh, we continue to find the market attractive, but as we mentioned many times, we're, we're waiting for, to see how the countries will fare as it uh, eventually exits the uh, pandemic and what, our, what asset that uh, could look like uh, uh, yeah, what are the assets are going to look like at that time when they're going to exit the pandemic? So it, it's, we're still on pause for, for Australia. The next question comes from Vishal Sridhar at National Bank Financial. You disposed of a property for $55 million. What was the reason for this disposal, and should we expect more disposals across the network? Well, it's important to stress that uh, these actions happen in a normal course of, of business. Uh, we always look at the capacity of a site to generate operational cash flows versus the real estate value. So this is uh, also one of the reasons why we like to own our own store. So it's also our duty to shareholders to consistently evaluate our assets, and we have teams that are uh, always looking at optimizing our real estate and our store portfolio. 
So uh, at times, the value today is worth making a deal versus operating the assets in the long term, and uh, we will always ensure that we are allocating our capital efficiently and investing in, in, in the areas that will provide the, with our best return, uh, with best return, and while staying focused on our long-term strategy. Uh, these transactions are common in our network, uh, but the, the, the materiality of this transaction suggested additional disclosure for this one. The next question comes from Chris Lee at Desjardins Securities. Since B2B is a relatively small part of Couchetard's fuel business in the U.S., is there an opportunity to grow the B2B business to take advantage of the structural growth in fuel demand by trucks and fleets driven by e-commerce? Yeah, I'd say the short answer is yes. You know, we're very strong in B2B in Europe, and it's, we've seen it hold up very well during the pandemic. You know, these drivers are also great C-Store customers. You know, the key to activating this opportunity is really having a harmonized network under our own brand. So today it's a little bit of the chicken or the egg is, you know, we're evolving from a, a major brand uh, marketer to more of our own brands. You know, so today in many markets, you know, we, we would fly multiple brands, Circle K, Exxon, Shell, and, and that's confusing for the customer, and, and you know, we're not able to provide a common offer. So as we, we have done more transitions to Circle K, you know, we're now having some very large markets where you know, we are leading in share and able to have our own brand. We absolutely feel that B2B is a big opportunity for us here in the United States, and uh, you'll see us uh, focusing on more on that in, in the coming years. The next question comes from Michael Van Elf at TD Securities. Normalized operating expenses declined 0.8%, and you attributed this to labor efficiencies, lower cost of goods not for resale, and lower discretionary expenses. Can you uh, provide the relative importance of each so we can get a feel as to how much of this will return when traffic increases? Can we also assume that the rollout of fresh food fast stores uh, does not add much to operating expenses? So, Michael, uh, labor efficiencies were an important factor this quarter. So, but our success in controlling operating costs is a constant discipline, and we've mentioned many times that we have a long-term objective to optimize costs in our business. When we talk about cost optimization, it is mostly about leveraging our scale, and we have built a formal, formal structure to ensure that we're developing the right model in place and, and that the benefits will be long-lasting. Uh, savings are expected to be significant throughout 2023, and part of those savings will be reinvested in our businesses, and uh, either in dollar terms uh, towards returning, uh, return generating, generating initiatives, or in labor by reallocating towards more value-added tasks. Our decentralized model is our, our, our strength, and this will not change, but there always there's ways uh, to work together across businesses and, and sometimes even within a, a, a given business unit. So to drive cost optimization and use our scale is very important and that program is all about that. So this relates to areas like goods not for resale, so GNFR, we refer to that uh, often as GNFR, like marketing goods, real estate and construction costs, maintenance, labor and parts. We've spoken about uh, smart safes also in the past, uh, which uh, permit time saving on cash register reconciliation and bank deposits. And we also mentioned smart AI-enabled cameras that help our teams reduce the amount of time required to, to review tapes, uh, 
to spot fraud or theft. These time savings are, are being reinvested into more front-facing activities that ultimately benefit service levels and, and sales. Our label model, which was initially developed at the holiday, gives us control over the labor allocation of each task with our stores and allow us to, uh, to adjust to traffic and, and demand patterns, making sure we maintain service excellence while optimizing the distribution of labor across the stores. And of, and of course, uh, throughout the pandemic, uh, we took a very uh, close look at all non-critical expenses, whether in, in marketing, travel, or consulting fees. And while these are, are, are not to be permanent, it's, uh, it demonstrates the ability that our team has in adjusting our business model to maximize cash flows during more challenging times. Finally, a Fresh Food Fast program will be uh, driving a re relatively low increase in hours worked at store level, but as we're looking at the total contribution of the, of the, program, uh, of the program on a return on capital basis, we're, we're including all these components that, to deliver the desired return of the program, which is in line with our, our typical uh, return for, for these uh, types of programs. Our next question comes from John Royal at JP Morgan Securities. Are you dealing with restrictions in any localities that are inhibiting the rollout of the fresh food program? Have you noticed any hesitation in terms of consumer behavior to this type of offering, or are they generally comfortable with the safeguards you've put in place? Uh, good question, John. I think uh, you know, that part of our program is one of the things we're very excited about is you know, the program has been rolled out successfully to our 1,500 stores, and I'm not aware of any local rules that prevented it. You know, the vast majority of the products in this program are wrapped at the production facilities and never touched by our stores. So we think that really fits in well with, you know, consumer uh, wariness, if you will, and particularly if those, some of those behaviors and concerns persist post-pandemic. Uh, more traditional categories like, you know, hot dogs and bakery have certainly been impacted by COVID and local rules. You know, many of them were closed. Uh, at the height uh, of the pandemic, um, and both in, in Canada and the U.S. Cold beverages uh, continue to perform well in Europe um, and in, in North America despite uh, the restrictions. Uh, so, you know, we don't, it doesn't appear our customers are shying away from the hot and cold side of the business. Um, we are seeing uh, increases in these uh, categories, but they are, are, they are dependent on traffic and, and the routines of our customers going to work, and those have certainly been disrupted. So, you know, we're optimistic that the post-COVID, that the normal traffic patterns and habits, and particularly in that morning day part, uh, will come back. I think it's a good opportunity to remind them, too, that, you know, that uh, this is a low-touch program um, from both an employee and customer perspective. You know, that's important from, uh, you know, the customer standpoint, but also, you know, food safety as customers want to get in and out and grab and go. Uh, we think the trends uh, of, of more snacking, less meals will continue post-COVID, and uh, you know, we think this program very well fits into those, those trends. We received a lot of questions on the EV market, how it's uh, evolving, what trends we're seeing in Norway and elsewhere, and what initiatives we're working on that are allowing us to learn and build our strategy. So perhaps, Brian, you can speak to our investors about what we're seeing and what we're doing on that front. Yeah, I think we started this journey, I guess, nine years ago when we bought Stat Oil, and uh, this journey was underway in Norway, uh, which you know had a lot of factors in place to accelerate that journey. Um, one, you know, very wealthy 
country overall, you know, heavy government subsidies uh, to assist the adoption, uh, low electricity costs, and, and a clean grid. You know, it's largely a hydro uh, grid in Norway, and the uh, structure in place to handle that load and the consumption. So we've seen EV grow there over the years, um, now up to 13% of the fleet in the most recent year, and 50% uh, or more of the cars being sold uh, being EV. So you know, we're certainly very in tune to these trends, and we're taking advantage of what we think is a leadership position in the country to test different strategies to see how we can participate in this journey. You know, there's a journey to see who will own these customers, and we think our industry is well-positioned versus the utilities or others to create an ecosystem for our customers' mobility and energy needs. You know, we've mentioned that we've partnered with Iambi and Tesla, in particular, to add high-speed charging stations to our networks. We've also rolled out Circle K-branded chargers in Norway. You know, we now have over 1,000 chargers on our sites, uh, including more than 500 of those in Norway. Uh, we have 2,700 Circle K chargers in people's homes and offices. You know, we added more in the last quarter than we did in the, pre in the previous year uh, for the home charging. We now have 90,000 customers that have signed up for our Circle K charging app on their phone. Uh, and as we continue to develop new sites, you know, we're, we're con you know, contemplating how we lay EV into those and include those with our fuel pumps, our car washes, and making sure that we've got the, the right location. Uh, we're focused on the washrooms. We're focused on the food offer just to make sure that, uh, that that continues to be relevant as those customers look for places to charge. You know, we know that the conversion rate uh, of a charge into the store is actually higher than a, a fuel conversion, approaching 40% of the occasions uh, shopping in the store. So, you know, we think there's a business there, and uh, we're very pleased to, you know, be on this journey in Norway working to uh, see how we can be, you know, a total solution. Here in North America, you know, we're working with different partners uh, to strategically deploy chargers in uh, some areas. You know, the goal will likely start in, uh, in Quebec, which also has a very clean grid, and then in California. Um, but uh, we absolutely believe that the, the learnings from Europe are transferable, and we're going to continue to focus on you know, a winning model there uh, and be able to quickly adopt that in North America when the time's right. Great. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Claude. That covers all questions for today's call. Thank you, everybody, for joining us. We wish you a great day and look forward to discussing our third quarter 2021 results in March. Thanks, everyone. Have a good day. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. Ceci met fin à la conférence d'aujourd'hui. Vous êtes maintenant invité à mettre fin à cet appel. Merci. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.